0: All right. Well, I am super excited to be back with you guys today. Uh, we are in the book of Daniel in chapter two. And, um, you know, it's it's such a, a wild time. This is week three of this. Uh, I, we hate calling it the new normal because the reality is we just don't know how long this is going to be. So it's still the new abnormal. And it just feels a little bit uncertain. Uh, lives are changed and some lives are, are changed kind of permanently. I, I We got word this week that a uh, couple in our church is going to go through with their wedding, and uh, they're getting married on Wednesday. And we're so excited for Armando and Liz that they get to uh, join together in marriage. Can you imagine, just think 25 years from now, what it'll be like to tell the story of your wedding day in the midst of a um, a virus-induced exile? It's it's quite a thing. So I'm very proud of them and really excited for uh, the life and, and the marriage and it was just a reminder to me, even hearing that news of how much more important uh, the marriage is than the wedding. Uh, the wedding is a huge celebration and we're so, uh, we love weddings, but the fact that they are uh, getting married, it just, it's such a picture of God's faithfulness and I was so excited to hear that. Well, I'm gonna um, take a moment, pray, settle my heart and kind of point our hearts towards the scripture. So let's do that. Jesus, we love you. We need you for our lives and for um even for this gathering. Pray that you would give us grace to understand your word and to apply it to our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I debated uh, how to actually teach this passage uh, because it is a big passage. It's 49 verses. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to actually take a moment and read through the entire thing. So I'd encourage you to have your Bibles open or if you've got your, you know, if it's on your computer or your iPad or whatever, get those open to Daniel chapter two and follow along. The verses will also be on the screen, but it's, uh, it's a chance for you to kind of open up your word and just take a look. It'll take a couple of minutes, but I think it's going to be worth it. So uh, this is Daniel chapter two. We're going to read the whole thing. Uh, so if you're ready, <clears throat> here we go. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, both angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought Daniel in before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, The king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, As you saw, the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, it shall, and it shall stand forever." Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained in the king's high court." That is an incredible, incredible story. Now once again, it's important to mention that as we go through the book of Daniel, uh, we set out to go through it in the context of being spiritual exiles, using the language from 1 Peter, which we'll get to later in the year. We are citizens, if you're a follower of Jesus, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Your home is elsewhere, but we are ambassadors here on earth. We, We live here. We we work here. We represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We represent Jesus here and now. And so we live in this state of exile. And so we wanted to talk about this in that context. And then while we were preparing for and even starting the book of Daniel, uh, the coronavirus hit. There's a mandate all over the world for everybody to stay in their homes, and we feel this sense of exile or isolation, and there's a new context, a micro-context that's risen up that we want to address as well. So we're going to be working through both of those contexts as we look at the scriptures that are for all people, for all time, regardless of context. So, let's dig into this. One of the main themes in the book of Daniel is faithfulness. That God is faithful even when our circumstances are frustrating or even worse, desperate. And that there's a call for us to imitate the faithfulness of God and to pursue holiness even when circumstances are frustrating or desperate. That's what Daniel demonstrates, is that regardless of the the place that we're in, the circumstances that we find, there's a call to faithfulness and holiness and obedience And when we walk in that, we get to see the power of God. Honestly, that's a big part of our prayers for this church is that we will hear stories of the power of God, not stories of survival, not like we made it through this this whole quarantine thing, but that we hear stories of God's power, him working in might and majesty in the lives of people, drawing people to himself. That is our prayer. Daniel's life, will show repeatedly that when we live faithful lives, opportunity to demonstrate the power of God flows. Chapter two is a major example of that. Daniel and his friends chose in chapter one to stand in their resolve. They resolved to be set apart, to honor God. And that opens the door for an opportunity for them to be a part of this wise man crew that King Nebuchadnezzar looked to for help. Now, Nebuchadnezzar started to have some dreams that were more than the normal nighttime activity. He knew that these dreams had significance. He started to see stuff and felt at his very core like something different was happening here. And it's really interesting to watch how he responds. He calls the wise men. Now, we don't know exactly why Daniel wasn't in that initial crew. Maybe he had an inner circle of wise men, enchanters, and Chaldeans, and that that whole thing, and Daniel was still, you know, in the minor leagues or whatever. I don't know exactly why, but we do see Daniel as not one of the initial crew that the king calls into this council that he asks for help, and he says to them that they need to tell him both the dream and the interpretation. Now, the wise men basically say, that's not fair. Uh, That's not how this magic thing works, king. You tell us the dream, and we basically give you our opinion of what that dream means. And the king said, that's not good enough. There's something different about this dream that you can tell from Nebuchadnezzar's communication that he's looking at this situation saying, "Uh, I'm experiencing something different than normal. I'm not just trying to figure out my own psychology here. I don't need somebody to comfort me. I need to know what the supernatural is telling me through this dream. And the only way that I'm going to know is by getting a supernatural interpretation. And to know that, I need you first to tell me the dream and then to tell me the interpretation. If I tell you the dream and you give me some uh, interpretation, it's just going to sound like you're making something up. That's Nebuchadnezzar's attitude in this. He feels like there is something beyond the natural and he needs help in that realm. There's a deep sense in him that he needs an answer beyond what's right in front of him. So the wise men can't come up with it. And he puts out the order for uh, all of the wise men to be killed. Now, this is going to be, it's not funny, but this is going to be sort of a comical theme in the book of Daniel as well, is that the threat of death is pretty much a constant. Uh, Daniel and his friends are sort of perpetually in this state of, if you can't, then I will kill you. That's kind of how the kings approached things back then. And this is the first run at that, where the king is basically saying to all of the wise men and the enchanters, we need this from you, and if you can't give this to us, we're going to kill you. They can't give it to him, so he sends out Ariok to go and kill all the wise men of the kingdom. That's what Ariok's job is in this particular situation, and he comes to Daniel to kill him. Just know that that's how close Daniel got to death as Ariok shows up to carry out the command of the king. So the picture is that sword in hand, ready to kill Daniel. Daniel calls on Ariok for a little bit of time. Can you give me a night? Let me, let me take a run at this. Let me see if God can do something different. See, Daniel knew that God is faithful and good that his promises are big, bigger even than Daniel's life, his lifetime, his particular context. God is bigger than that. And he says to to. I want to take a run at this. So Daniel requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. That's verse 16. So Daniel goes to his house and talks to his roommates. This is like the original frat house. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all live together in a house and their house, I apologize for calling it a frat house. It's more like a prayer house. That's probably better than a frat house. They go and Daniel says, guys, I need you to get to work praying for mercy while I go and hear the vision from the Lord. Now, first of all, if you have roommates, you have a new standard, right? That's, that's the new standard of how to do life with roommates. I need you guys praying for mercy while I hear if God's going to give me an answer or else we die. This is the nature of the conversation that he has. And I love that he has these friends with him, this core group that's walking with him in community, ready to pray for this moment where Daniel needs to hear from the Lord. And so they go to work praying and Daniel goes to listen to the Lord. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel, verse 19, in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, I love this. Basically, Daniel says to his roommates, you guys go pray, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek the Lord. He seeks the Lord, and God gives it to him. He's like, all right, I got it. I would love to know just how how that came across that he was so confident of like, oh, I know the king's vision and I know the interpretation. And he goes right away to say, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He goes into this song of praise. I love it. So there are a few things that we need to learn from this. Four things, in fact. Okay, these are things that we need to see. First, God presents opportunities for faithfulness. These usually come in the form of challenging circumstances. Opportunities for faithfulness come in the form of challenging circumstances. It's a chance for you to have resolve, to stand in faith, to be obedient. And that doesn't come in easy times, that comes in hard times. God presents these to you as opportunities. As we see in the life of Daniel, we see in the life of Joseph, we see in the life of Moses, we see in the life of Abraham, these are often at the hands of people doing evil. They're often in incredibly difficult circumstances that God takes those circumstances and he presents his people with an opportunity for faithfulness. So that's the first thing we need to see. The second thing, when we are faithful, God gives us more opportunities for faithfulness here's, it's sort of like, I'm a Gen Xer, so we had Choose Your Own Adventures when we were growing up. We had these books where you would read, you know, five or six pages, and then it would say, if you want this, go to this page, or if you want to go this storyline, go to this page, and you would basically just navigate your way through a book. And here's how God is presenting this to us, is that when you're faithful, you open up door A, or if you're unfaithful, it opens up door B. But every time we're faithful, we walk into more opportunities for faithfulness. That's the way that God works. He increases the opportunity for us to demonstrate faithfulness to him. This isn't a one and done thing. We don't just do our obedience once and say, did it, Lord, I'm done. He opens up more opportunities for us to walk by faith and to be obedient. Third thing, when God gives us opportunities for faithfulness, we are to go back to him for help. Now, this is sort of a gospel reality that we need to be aware of, Uh, The story here is not Daniel. The story in your life is not you. The story in my life is not me. It's God's power and presence in me. That's what we're here to demonstrate. That's what we're carrying is God's power and God's presence, not our own greatness. It's not an opportunity for us to shine or to be a superstar. That is not the story that we are in. So when God gives us opportunities for faithfulness, we're to go back to him for help. Daniel goes and seeks the Lord. He already had 10 times the wisdom of any other person in the kingdom. Yeah, he goes to the Lord and says, I need to hear from you. Fourth thing, when we go back to him for help, he meets us and fills us with strength to live out our faith. God responds to our cries for help and he fills us with what we need for that moment. That is the relationship that thrives in God is when we go to him for help and wisdom, he meets us with help and wisdom. That is the relationship with God. Four things that we see demonstrated in the life of Daniel. Jesus actually made this perfectly clear in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. He's telling the parable of the talents. And his master said to him, this is after, uh, it was kind of in the wrap-up phase of the parable of the talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. Jesus is telling a parable, but the parable actually ends with this idea that the joy of the master is to give us more to actually give us more opportunity to demonstrate faith, more opportunity to carry his presence, more opportunity to show his power. He loves to do that when we're faithful with a little. He gives us much, and that is his joy. He wants more for you, and so he wants to call you to faithfulness daily, weekly, monthly, in your lifetime. And he gives you a chance to walk by faith and will grow, will grow the opportunities for you to live by faith. We see this over and over again in scripture. God's favorite thing. I I can't speak for God, so I don't know that it's his favorite thing, but it's so common in scripture. It feels like his favorite thing. Is that better? Uh, Is to meet us in moments of faithfulness. He doesn't give us evidence before we climb out of the boat that the water will hold us. I love that picture that Peter, when he told Jesus to call out to him, if it's you, Lord, call me out on the water. Peter had no basis for that water being able to hold him up, except that he climbed out of the boat and God met him in that moment and held him up and over and over and over again When we step out in faith, God meets us in those moments and demonstrates his faithfulness. So God reveals the mysteries to Daniel, but the story doesn't end there. There's still a huge task ahead, and that's to go and tell a king who has all the power in the world uh, that his kingdom has an expiration date and that it's not gonna go well for him. Now, I just want you to think about this. Daniel was under the threat of death once, and that was when Ariok came to his house with a sword uh, to put an end to his life. And now he's about to take the extra day that he's gotten to go into the king to tell him an interpretation of a dream that basically says, your kingdom is coming to an end, and he has the potential to die for that message as well. He could have shied away. He could have ran away. He could have come up with something else. He did none of those things. He knew that God had something that he wanted him to do. And so he takes this directly to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the dream is a profound one. This is a quote from a, a scholar named Brian Chapel. Um, he says this, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was to be divided. It was to be replaced by one kingdom after another. Nebuchadnezzar's golden rule in Babylon would be succeeded by the rule of the Medo-Persian Empire A silver era, not quite as lustrous, which would be conquered by Greece, an empire of great strength like bronze that would nevertheless shine less brightly, which would be succeeded by Rome, an empire of iron and clay, strongest of all initially, yet eventually made of many different entities that could not hold together." Now, God will expand on this revelation later in the book of Daniel, but the dream and its interpretation is one that's kind of baffled historians and scholars for generations. Did God really reveal the shaping of Western civilization to Nebuchadnezzar before it all happened? It's so stunningly accurate that skeptical scholars say that the book of Daniel must have been written in the second century because there's no way he could have known how things would unfold like that. That's how accurate what he is bringing to Nebuchadnezzar proved to be over time. Now, this is God's way of demonstrating his power and his sovereign goodness to Israel and through Israel to all nations. I'm bringing through my faithful exiles a message of the future of humanity. And you're going to reveal it to the most powerful man on earth. See, kings and kingdoms will ebb and flow, but the story ends with God setting up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will stand forever. That future kingdom will be a theme that runs through the book of Daniel, and it's God's way of giving hope to Israel to declare to them his future plans. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, I want you to think about something pretty wild. When Jesus comes and he starts preaching, the very early message that he started to preach was called the gospel of the kingdom. See, Israel had heard this prophecy from Daniel that God was going to set up a kingdom that would not be destroyed. And that was the message they were waiting for. And Jesus starts to preach the good news of the kingdom, and he's referencing this right here and now when he starts to preach that the kingdom that was being set up by God, an eternal kingdom, was being set up in their midst by the presence of Jesus, the incarnation of the Messiah. I love how God's story ties together. It is incredible. So we know that Daniel's not out of the woods. He shares this revelation with Nebuchadnezzar. And you can imagine that no world leader would like to hear that his kingdom is going to be replaced four times over and then smashed by God. That is not an encouraging message. But Daniel's trust is not in his ability to manipulate facts to ensure his survival. In fact, Daniel's trust is not in his survival at all. His trust is in a God that is big and powerful and good. Think about it this way. In the same dream that God is revealing something humbling to Nebuchadnezzar, there must have also been a pit in Daniel's stomach. His desire for vengeance, his desire to see Nebuchadnezzar overthrown by God, his desire to see Israel on the throne of all things is in the distant, distant future. That his lifetime, Daniel's lifetime, will not see the coming eternal kingdom. Daniel was going in, and at the same time that Nebuchadnezzar was hearing a message that his kingdom had an expiration date, Daniel was hearing a message that he is in exile for the long haul. And this is where we as exiles need to have a perspective that is eternal, one that that goes beyond our lifetime. When we hear something like Romans 8.28 that said, God is working all things together for good, for, for many of us, sometimes we're We're living like the sitcom life where everything is going to wrap up in 22 minutes and just be finished off with a perfect bow and we're able to to end our day or our week or our life in a very satisfying manner. We know that the end of all things is God's glory. Daniel prophesied here that the end of all things is God's glory, but the road to get there that Daniel saw in his prophecy is a difficult one and one in which Israel is going to be tossed around. Just think about this. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome all occupied Israel. They all had authority over Israel. Israel was not the story. They were under one of those kingdoms for generation upon generation upon generation. This message is one that might seem hopeless for Israel, but they had an internal perspective. And so therefore, it's not hopeless. My God stands for eternity. That's the message of hope. Kings and kingdoms are going to ebb and flow. They're going to come and go, but my God stands forever. And that's the story that I'm in. Can we live with that perspective that even if our lifetime doesn't see the most satisfying end from our perspective, can we walk in faith that God's story is bigger than ours? that my contribution and my participation is about something much bigger than me and my life and even my choice outcome. The promise of Daniel chapter two, the thing that drives us is the faithfulness of God in the small and in the big picture. It can be one thing to just say, you know, kind of like, hey, put my life on the altar, Lord, which we'll get to that in just a minute. Put my life on the altar, Lord. You don't need to provide anything for me. Just Take me, have my life, and, and use it for your glory. And I think God responds to those things in a, in a powerful way. But we also see God provide for Daniel in a huge way in that moment. It might not have meant that Israel rose to power, overthrew Nebuchadnezzar, and God sat on the throne of all of earth from that moment forward. But God continued to, to be faithful to Daniel, to give him an increase in his influence, his prominence, his ability to be a part of the story of. Babylon. God continued to meet Daniel and increase his opportunity. Enter into the joy of the master. You've been faithful with a little. Now I'm going to have you be faithful over much. God was faithful in Daniel's day to day. I want to encourage you with this. When we walk by faith, God meets us in those places and we see his power and his faithfulness in the day to day. When you walk in obedience to God, you are going to see his power. It's what he does. You get to experience his presence, his spirit in you, ministering to you, challenging you, shaping you, and then overflowing out of you into the lives of others to bless, to show mercy and grace, to to lift up and encourage and to demonstrate the power and the goodness of God. God will meet you in the day-to-day. Also, he has a big picture that he is working towards. The restoration of all things, the redemption of humanity. God desires that all would be saved, all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, that none would be condemned. That's his stated desire, and he's invited you to give your life to participate in making that happen. Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. I say this verse a lot, but it's really important for this message. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul's saying, look, my life expired. I had nothing. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. My life was going to come to a screeching halt at the end of its physical existence. And then through Christ, when I died with him, new life was breathed into me. So now the life I live is by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what Daniel was doing. He was living the spirit of Christ. He had been crucified with Christ. I know that might sound crazy. You're like, well, Matt, Jesus wasn't crucified for another 600 years. Yeah, but we know, we know that Daniel's faith was in the God of all things. Yahweh, Yahweh. Jesus, Messiah. And his faith in Christ, in the Messiah, in the salvation of all who would turn to him in faith, led him to a life of obedience. We've been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And so now what that allows us to say is Philippians 1.21: for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I know this might sound like a morbid message. That's a lot of death talk, Matt. You're basically asking me to give up my life to serve Jesus. I guess where I'm going with this is I wanna encourage you and yes, challenge you. That if you're a follower of Jesus today, Your life is not your own. What we are a part of is something so much bigger than ourselves. And honestly, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, that's the invitation, is that you would experience salvation and redemption. You're filled by the Spirit. It's all wonderful for our own experience. But then also we're given this life of substance and significance and meaning to go and bring about the end game of God's restoration of all things you get to participate in that when you come to Jesus in faith. So guys, I want to invite you to say yes. Here am I. Jesus, I want to walk by faith and obedience today. I want to pursue my King and give Him my life may pray for us. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to just lift up your name, to surrender ourselves to you. Even though we don't know the immediate outcomes, we know the ultimate outcome. Through Jesus, you are bringing about restoration and redemption, and you've invited us to be a part of that. So Lord, we love you. We surrender ourselves to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.